Psalm 119, and we're going to continue on our series about Psalm 119, studying through that. And uh, I do want to give you an update. We asked prayer last week, um, saying that this was going to be, this past week was going to be our first week going up to uh, freshman orientations at South. And so Tuesday and Thursday, we had a table set up uh, there to meet freshmen and just get their contact information for the fall. And the Lord really blessed. We had about 75 uh, freshmen that uh, gave us their contact information. They're interested in getting contacted in the fall and connected possibly uh, with the ministry, with the meetings that we do up there. So pray for them, first of all, uh, that uh, we'd be able to, to stay in contact with them as we touch base with them throughout the rest of the summer and then as we get ready for the fall. And then also be in prayer for the rest of them. Um, there's going to be, I believe, eight more that we're going to do. Uh, 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 four more here in June and then four in July. And so pray for those. Uh, Lord is really blessed. I think last year we did one. Just to tell you what, how exciting this is, I think last year we went to one. We got about 30 contacts and we had, uh, I think, four or five freshmen that came from that all year long and got involved and, and are still planning on coming back and being involved next year. And so if we can average that same percentage, we're looking at God to really bless. And so uh, pray for that. Psalm 119. And so we're going to be in starting in verse number 65. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and read the section that is entitled Teth, the Hebrew word Teth. And so starting in verse 65, let's look at it there. It's in your handbook as well, or your handout as well with all those words that refer to God's word, the blanks. And so you can fill that in as we go. Verse 65, thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. We're going to stop there. We're going to come back to that passage and look at a couple of uh, truths from there. We're going to look at the next word that we're going to study that refers to God's word. But before we do that, I want to kind of go back to what we looked at last week. So whether you were here or not, uh, it's not an issue. But we kind of finished talking last week about how over and over again, the author in Psalm 119, whoever that was, asked God for understanding. He needed understanding. We talked about how much we need understanding when it comes to God's word. Uh, we need understanding. We need to be able to know how that word understanding means to, to separate, to distinguish. We need to know how to, to look at God's word and be able to, to see the truths of scripture. And uh, just thinking about that a little bit more, uh, I'll be real transparent with you. And uh, I've mentioned this before, but, but I have, sometimes I have a hard time reading my Bible. I'll be real honest. And I don't have a hard time going to it and opening it and making sure that my eyes are seeing words because I try to do that pretty much every day and I feel like I've been pretty consistent with that. But when I go to it and do that, I have a hard time reading it. I have a hard time focusing on it. I have a hard, my mind will wander. Uh, it's very easily distracted. You know, maybe you're like me, maybe you're not. But I can read two, three, four chapters and get to the end of it and think, I have no idea what I just read. Be completely clueless about what I just read. And why is that? Because I need understanding. We need, if, that, if that's something that you can identify with, 
When we get to the end of reading scripture, whether it was a verse, a couple of verses, a couple of chapters, whatever it is, if we get to the end of it and we have no idea what we just read, the problem is that we need understanding. We need understanding that God can give us. Uh, we need to be able to focus on Scripture. We need to be able to see and pull truths out of Scripture. We need to be able to see how it divides the sections of Scripture for it to make sense. Why is that, though? Why do we need understanding? Why is that? Is it just so that when we read it, we're not wasting our time? Is it just so that when we read it, you know, we, we can say we got something out of the Bible? Why do we need understanding? We need understanding, I believe, because that's the only way that we're going to be able to apply it to our lives. Listen, you cannot apply something in your life that you don't understand. You can't apply something in your life that you don't understand. I'll be the first to tell you this, that if you don't understand a concept when it comes to school, particularly math, my mother is in here, she will testify to this, you can't apply it. I am not a math person, which is kind of odd since I have been handling the finances for the church for a very long time. There's no math in that. It's Excel, amen, and calculators. But if you don't understand what you're trying to study in math, there's absolutely no way that you're going to be able to apply it, figure out a problem. Algebra, geometry, uh, long division. I still have one of the worst memories of my childhood is the night when my mom tried to explain long division to me. So it's, I'm scarred for life. But anyway... Uh, if you don't understand it, you can't apply it. That is the same truth when it comes to Scripture. If you don't understand it, you can't apply it. It is just words. It is just black and white on a page. It is ink on a piece of paper. If you don't understand it, you cannot apply it. And it's also the only way that you'll be able to share it. If you don't understand, understand Scripture, first of all, you won't be able to apply it in your own life. Secondly, there's no way that you can share it. Now, you'll, we'll never understand Scripture fully. You understand that, right? Okay, you know that. Uh, until we get to heaven, we'll never have a complete understanding of Scripture. It is the unsearchable riches of Christ. There is always something more that we'll be able to figure out about Scripture as God reveals it to us. But at least what He reveals to us, uh, we need to ask for understanding so that we can apply it and so that we can share it. You know, if something doesn't apply to you, and it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's scripture or anything else, if something doesn't apply to you, then you're not going to pay attention to it. If you don't see how God's word applies to you, if you don't understand how God's word applies to you, then you're not going to pay attention to it. So we need understanding. I was thinking about a verse, and we'll go to this verse, and then we'll get back to Psalm 119. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse number 15. Because this verse, although it does not use the word understanding, it refers to that same definition, that the, the same meaning of the word that we've used. 2 Timothy 2, look at verse number 15. It says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Look at the last phrase, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And, and we said understanding means to separate, to distinguish. And so we're dividing the word of truth. And God's desire for each of us is that we would be able to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, let me say this. It just doesn't happen because we want it to. 
It just doesn't happen because we ask for it. Although that's the first step to ask God for understanding, to ask God for wisdom. But it's a responsibility that falls on us. Look at this verse real quick. He says, study. That's a command. Study to show thyself approved. Study means to use speed. It means to be prompt or earnest, diligent, to labor. I keep saying it. And, and I'm going to keep saying it, but your relationship with God's word will not happen by accident. It won't happen by accident. It won't happen just because uh, you want it to. It won't happen just because you put in minimal effort to check something off your to-do list or ease your conscience. It's going to take labor, work. And he uses that word. He says in the middle of that, look at verse 15 again. It says, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. That's someone who toils, someone who works, someone who labors. Um, let me say this, okay? God's word is like buried treasure. Most of the truth that he wants you to find, it's not laying on the top. You have to dig for it. You have to look for it. You have to search for it. It requires effort to dig, or tr- dig it out. But let me tell you, the deeper truths, those are the most valuable ones. The deeper truths, those are the ones that can have the most meaning to us. And so uh, it's going to take work, and we need understanding in order to understand or to divide God's word so that we can apply it and so that we can share. So back to Psalm 119, and we have talked about four different words so far that the author, that God, the Holy Spirit uses to describe scripture. We've looked at the word law. We said that means instruction or pointing to answers, helping us know what is right, what is wrong. We looked at the word testimonies. That's a record of what God has done, who he is, and what he's planned for us. We looked at the word way. That's a course or route to the destination that he's prepared for us. And last week, we looked at the word precept. And we said that that means the mission, the special assignment that he has created for us individually that he reveals to us in his word. So today, the word we're going to look at, and this is found in your handout there, is the word statutes. Statutes. Now, the word statutes comes from the Hebrew word choke, which means an enactment, hence an appointment, okay? Or an enactment of laws being cut in stone or metal tablets. I think that's the definition I gave you in your handout. An enactment of laws being cut in stone or metal tablets. So we would think of The Ten Commandments, those would be the first thing that would come to our mind because those were literally written in stone. But that was the way in the Old Testament, if there was a law that was supposed to remain, it was a law that everybody needed to know about. It was a law that that needed to pass and span generations. It was one of the big ones, like the Ten Commandments. Then they would literally chisel it into stone so that it could not change. So it would remain, so it would last. The word statutes is used 19 times in Psalm 119. And and going back to the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament law, that's where it's used the most in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. It's used 75 times. So when we think of God's word as a statute or as the statutes, what should that mean to us? How should that apply to us? We should think of it as the unchanging written in stone decrees of Almighty God. Listen, when you think of the Word of God, you need to think of it as something that does not change. Something that does not change. Something that spans time, spans the test 
of time. Uh, God's word does not change. It cannot be changed. It will never change. Hold your place in Psalm 119. Go to Matthew 24 and see what Jesus said. Matthew 24. The word of God does not change. It is not meant one thing to one people and another thing to another people. It means the same. Now, God can speak to us in different ways through it, surely, but it is truth that does not change. Look at verse number 35. So, Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. It is going to remain forever. Uh, the word of God established forever in heaven, the book of Psalms says. Uh, it's like the wise man and the foolish man, the foundation that we build upon. Uh, Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, my words, receives my words, they're the ones that are building on the solid foundation of the rock. And when the storm comes, they'll be able to stand secure. And those that forsake God's word, those that choose another foundation, those are the ones that will not last when the storms of life come. We can know and stand upon the word of God and know that our footing is sure. And so the word statutes referring to God's word, that should bring to mind a rock, an unmovable, unpenetrable, unchanging force in our lives. When I was looking at the word statutes, and I've been going to Webster's Dictionary to find out the English word, the understanding of those that translated the Bible, how they would have thought about it, because I believe that also helps us understand it. And so Webster's says this, a statute talking more in the legal sense, is an act of a legislature that extends its binding force or what gives it authority to all the citizens or subjects of that state as distinguished from an act which extends only to an individual or company. Listen to this. Statutes owe their binding force, what gives them authority, what gives them power in people's lives to the principles of justice, to long use, and the consent of a nation. This is another definition. Statute is commonly applied to the acts of a legislative body consisting of representatives. In other words, a body or authority that is chosen by the people and not forced upon them. Now, why is that significant? Why do those definitions, I believe, apply to us as we think of the Word of God as a statute? If a statute in a legal term is a law that's given by a body of representatives people that were voted in, not those that were forced upon people, then statutes only have effect in our lives when we choose to let them. Statutes only have effect in our lives when we choose to let them. When it comes to the word of God, we have to choose to see God as the one who has authority. God is not going to be forced upon us. God is not going uh, to force himself on us. He's not going to force himself to have a relationship with you. He's not going to force his word upon you. We have to choose to allow it to have authority in our lives. Now, it is truth, it is right, and it is what we should do, but God is not going to force that upon us. And so as we think of statutes, we have to allow, choose to allow God to be the ruler. We want to know, to learn, and then keep what he gives us, the statutes. Choosing to let them have authority, choosing to let them have power, choosing to let them be the guiding and ruling power in our lives. The word of God is a statue. It's the decrees of a holy God for all humanity 
But it's also for you and for me as individuals, individually, personally. And it's everything in the Word of God. Every part of the Word of God is given for you and for me. Uh, we know that it's profitable. We saw that. Uh, we see that in, uh, in Timothy. But it's profitable and it's given for you and for me. It's commandments, it's laws, it's promises, it's comforts, it's encouragements, and it's exhortations. The Word of God is a statue. We should think of it as us choosing to recognize God's authority and His power in our lives and choosing to live according to His purpose and plan as found in His will. When you read the Word of God and think of it as a statute, if you read the Word of God as statutes, you need to remember that, yes, it's unchanging. It's written in stone, but also that it's because we choose to allow God to have authority in our lives. Its power comes from allowing God to have the power, the rule, the authority, to be King of kings and Lord of lords. And so that's what statute means. Now, as we look at, go back to Psalm 119, as we look at how it's used in Psalm 119, we're not going to look at all of it, but one of the primary ways that it's used, and this is eight times, it refers to teaching somehow, or being taught. And uh, I think it's important for us to look at this because in the passage that we just read, uh, there's a very important verse, and I want to kind of expound on that. So go back to Psalm 119, look at verse number 71. Psalm 119 and verse number 71. The Bible says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes. So there it is, learning or teaching or being taught. But look back at the first part of that verse, because that's what I want to focus on here for the rest of our time. It says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a statement that I like to make on a regular basis. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. It's good for me that I'm going through a hard time. It's good for me that I'm dealing with a trial. It's good for me that my cars broke down. It's good for me that I have no money. It's good for me that I'm dealing with bad health, poor health. It's good for me that I'm dealing with issues at work. It's good for me that I'm struggling in a certain area. It's good for me that I've been afflicted. I, I, I don't like to say that. I don't know about you. Um, but that's what scripture says. It's good for me that I have been afflicted. Now let's look at this. So verse 71, those words there, what do they mean? That word good, when the psalmist says it's good for me, what is he saying there? The word good says is making good or making better. It's improving me. It's not necessarily a word that's looking at the here and now. It's a word that says, I see down the road, and I know that eventually things are going to be better because of what I'm going through right now. It's good for me. It says to be afflicted. Now, is that an ailment? Is that an illness? Is that a sickness? Is that a bad roommate? Is that a difficult situation or night at work? Is that... Is that just somebody we don't like? What is affliction? Well, the Bible word for affliction that's used here in this verse means to press down or make humble. To press down or make humble. To kind of get your nose rubbed in the mud every once in a while. Now, if you be honest, I think all of us have probably been there once in a while where we've just kind of fallen flat on our faces. And we've gone through a time of affliction. The word learn there, that's important. It says, it's good for me that I have been afflicted, I might learn. 
That word learn there is not necessarily sitting in a classroom like this, in a comfy chair, in an AC, uh, air-conditioned building, um, you know, learning wonderful truths of the Bible, all right? That's not necessarily what he's talking about there. The word learn, or instruction, we find instruction many times in Proverbs, has to do with goading. Now, if you've ever heard the word goading, it's kind of a, a term that's used in shepherding. And a shepherd would have a goad, which was different from his staff, okay? similar to the rod uh, that was talked about in, uh, in Psalm 23, that rod and thy staff, they comfort me, that, that verse kind of applies here. And a goad or a rod was not necessarily, it was designed to give instruction, but it was not designed to be the symbol of comfort and encouragement and power. When a sheep would get out of line and decide he wanted to do his own thing, and he wanted to go his own way, a shepherd would take that rod, that goad, and would use it. You know, th those of you that have grown up in the South, you know what a rod does, all right, or what it's for. And, and uh, he would make sure that that sheep got in line. And, uh, and he would inflict pain on that sheep, not to hurt it, not to uh, injure it in any way, but to teach it, to give it instruction, to help it know where he's supposed to go. You know, give it a little rap on the side. Uh, you know, uh, give it a little uh, pat on its backside to make sure he knew where he was supposed to go. Inflicting some pain to give instruction. Uh, the rod, uh, I was reading about this, the rod being an oriental incentive. Uh, the, the east, the middle east, the orient. Uh, the rod gave instruction. That's what it was for. It was supposed to teach. It was not to inflict pain and correction just to tell you that you did wrong, but it was to instruct you and to teach you into what you needed to do right. And so as we read Psalm 71 here, thinking about those definitions, let's think about it. Go back and read it and replace that. It says, it is for my betterment. I'm going to improve because I have been humbled that I might receive instruction, correction, if you will, from thy statutes. And so as we think about that, we think about this thing of affliction, receiving affliction. Uh, let me say this. Affliction always has a purpose from God. And I think that's on your, in your handout. Affliction always has a purpose from God. You, listen, God will never allow you to go through affliction just for the sake of going through affliction. God is not a cruel God where he looks down upon you and says, oh, he's going through a hard time. That's funny. And just lets you go through it. There is a purpose for it. There's a purpose for it. Uh, let's look at a couple verses on this. Uh, hold your place in Psalm 119 because we're going to come back there. But look at Psalm 68. Psalm 68. This is another sermon for another day, but so much of this depends on how we view God. Do we see God as someone who has our best interest in heart, that we trust him, that he wants to lead us, that he wants to guide us? If we do, then when we enter times of affliction, that's when we'll say, I'm looking for ways that this is going to make me better. Look at Psalm 68. Look at verse number 19. It says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. That sounds like a great verse, but when you study that out, the word load means to impose a burden, to get a burden. 
Sometimes you get a burden. Sometimes you have to have a weight on your shoulders. But the psalmist says, blessed be the Lord who daily loaded us, puts burdens on us. Why? For benefits. See, if we look at it the right way, the burden can become a blessing if we allow God to work through it. Affliction can teach us. It, we can say, it's good for me that I have been afflicted. Familiar verse, Romans 8, 28. The Bible says, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. All things work together. All things work together. See, we forget that that verse says all things. We, we, we think when we read it or in our minds when we're going through a difficult situation that it's just this thing. This thing that we're going through. This thing that we're dealing with. This thing that is difficult. Some of you have gone through difficult situations. Family situations. Lost loved ones. Gone through difficult times. And when you look at that thing, this thing, there's no way that you can say that's working together for good. But we forget that verse says all things. All things work together for good. Your affliction may not be good now, but when it works together with something else, it can produce good. You know, those, those muffins that you've had a chance to enjoy this morning. Delicious. All together. And I've enjoyed those many times throughout my life. But if you were to take the ingredients to those muffins by themselves, a cup of flour, some sugar, baking soda, baking soda, try eating that by itself. Salt. The blueberries are good, but am I missing anything else? Eggs. Oh, yeah. Raw eggs, a little oil. Okay. If you try eating one of those by themselves, most of the time, that's affliction. I remember one time somebody tried to illustrate this and when I was in college. And instead of just talking about it, they wanted to illustrate it by giving everybody a little bit of each thing to eat. And so I had the flour. And I was foolish at the time. And so I endured affliction because I shoved that cup of flour in my mouth thinking that it would just go down. It did not go down. All right? I'm standing up there coughing and little, little puffs of flour just coming out of my mouth. But anyway... But when you add all those ingredients together, when all things work together, they produce something good. It's good. Our problem is we start looking at the affliction instead of the God who allowed it. Did you catch that? See, our problem is we're looking at the, all, we're looking at the thing that we're going through. We're looking at the thing. But that verse said, all things work together for good to what? Them that love God. See, when we're going through affliction, God says, I don't want you. It's like Peter on the water. When Peter was on the water and the storm was raging all around him, that's a time of affliction. That's a time of storm. That's a, that's a bad time. But Peter was fine as long as he did what? Kept his eyes on Jesus. And when he started looking at the affliction, when he started looking at the storm, that's when things all got messed up. And for us, we have got to keep our eyes on the Lord instead of the affliction. And then we can say, it is good. It is good for me that I've been afflicted. See, because for most of us, uh, we hear that, we think of the afflictions that we've gone through or that we're going through currently, and we think, why? There's no way that that makes sense. How can you say it is good that I have been afflicted? Because we forget that we can learn. 
We forget the second half of that verse that says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn. We focus on what God has for us. And it's not easy. It's not easy. But remember, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not unto thy own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him, look to him, know, excuse me, know him, and he shall direct thy paths. You know, we, we ask questions. The world asks questions. And certainly, uh, it's understandable why. Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to me? Uh, why am I having to deal with this? Why, why have I had to endure this in my life? Because there is a bigger purpose and a plan that even we can't see when we're going through it. You know, you read through the Word of God and you find examples of that. Examples of people that went through affliction. And when they were going through it, they had no idea why they were going through it. You read the story of Job. That is the example of someone who had no idea why he was going through what he did. Why he was sitting through losing all of his stuff, losing all of his family, having terrible health, having terrible friends. And in the middle of that, Job's thinking, why in the world? Just kill me, God. But in the end, Job found out why. In the end, Job said, I heard of you by the hearing of mine ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Oh, it was good for Job that he'd been afflicted. You know, Abraham, when Abraham has to take Isaac up on top of the mountain, Abraham being tested for his faith, having to sacrifice his only son, the one thing he'd been looking for his entire life. Why? So that his faith would be tested. Paul, we read about Paul's struggles and how he had the thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians and how he went to God three different times to get that thorn removed. And finally God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul had to learn to rely on God's grace. And there's always a purpose when we have to endure infliction. Go back to Psalm 119. A couple things real quick and then we'll be done. Look at verse number 67. We read this verse just a few minutes ago. The beginning. Verse number 67, it says, Before I was afflicted, there it is again, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. There was a reason for the affliction. He was going astray. He was going the wrong way. And the shepherd had to come behind him and say, nope, course correction. Let's get this fixed. Here's some affliction because now you're going to keep my word. Look at verse number 75. We didn't read this one yet, but verse 75 says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. I'd love to at some point maybe go through a study on the character qualities of God because I think all of us, or many of us, have a poor understanding of who God is. And that affects so much of our lives. That affects how we look at Him. That affects how we serve Him. That affects the relationship that we have from Him. And one of the things is that we forget that God is faithful. That means He's trustworthy. That means we can trust Him. Whatever He does and whatever He allows in our life, we know that it's for our good and for His purpose. And He says it there. I know that Thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. Faithfulness. So what are some reasons from Scripture that God allows affliction in our lives? We don't have time, so I'm going to give these to you real quick. This is not comprehensive, certainly. This is not all of the reasons. This is kind of a summary. All of these will be taken on an individual basis. And you can't look at somebody going through an affliction and say, hmm, I wonder which one of these three reasons it is. You can't do that. This is for us in our own lives. So first of all, affliction may be correction or instruction for us to mature spiritually. 
We may be going in the right direction. We may be headed in the right direction. We want to serve God, but sometimes God has to allow a little affliction into us to help us learn and grow and mature a little bit more. We won't take time to read it, but Psalm 94 and Hebrews 12 talks about instruction or chastening, that it's profitable for us, that it's good. We, we have to learn. We have to learn. And so affliction may be correction. Uh, affliction, the second one there, affliction may be a way for God to get our attention. Oh, man, this is good. And again, I say this because we don't look at everybody else's situations and say, oh, I wonder if God's trying to get their attention for something. That's not what we do. We look at ourselves. So this is for us to examine our own hearts and our own lives. But if we ever find ourselves enduring some affliction, let's ask ourselves, is God trying to get our attention? Because he did that uh, several times. The nation of Israel, Jonah, King Manasseh, wouldn't look at God until he was flat on his back enduring affliction. And then lastly, number three, affliction may be God working something in our lives for the future. Second Corinthians talks about our light affliction, how it's going to produce eternal glory. God may be trying to do something in the future. It talks about the churches of Macedonia, Philippi, who endured affliction and how encouraging they were, how much of a blessing that they were to others. Let me say this, and we said this when we were talking about our minds. The one thing to take away from affliction, okay, and going through difficult times, you can't always control what happens to you. But you can control how you deal with it. You control how you think about it. You control how you respond to it. You control how you move on from it. You may not be able to fix it, solve it, or make it better, but you can look at it with the right attitude and with the right spirit. You can look at it with trust in the Lord that he has a purpose, that he has a plan. You can look at it with faith that he's going to lead you out of it. You can look at it with love for others around you. You can look at it with grace for those that may be causing the affliction, and you can look at it with a teachable spirit saying, God, I know it's good, so help me learn. Let this be profitable for me. So we need to make sure that we do that. It's good for me that I have been afflicted. Now, I like how he says that, okay? Because it's, it's good for me. He just doesn't say it's good. You catch that? He just doesn't say, oh, it's good that I've been afflicted. No, it's good for me. You know, it's like when you were growing up and you were sick and you had to take medicine. And it wasn't the pink stuff. Yeah, that's right. Everybody knows, Okay. It wasn't necessarily good, some of that stuff, oof, but it's good for you. And affliction may not necessarily be good. You may not be dealing with something that's good that you would say, I would choose this, <laughs> but it's good for you. And that's what we have to remember. It's good for me. There is profit and pain when we allow God to, endure his, to perform his purpose. Can I say this as we close? Don't endure pain just for pain's sake. If you're going through a hard time, don't just go through a hard time. Let God do something in it. Let God teach you. Let God perform something. Let God work his will. And I promise that you'll see him do that if you will. <laughs>